We're doing a raffle. We're doing a raffle in honor of the podcast existing for six months. The prize is a pair of sneakers that are called Dinamos. And it's a very cool Petersburg local brand that has existed since the late Soviet Union. And it used to be like a cheap kind of just like very retro looking cheap sneakers in the late 80s. And now they're like cool and hip and more expensive. But anyway, I will bring you a pair of those if you win the raffle. How do you enter the raffle? It's very simple. You call plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six, and that is a voicemail box. And you leave a voicemail in which you ask a question about Russia, and make sure that you leave some identifying information in the voicemail, like a Twitter handle or a name, so that we can enter you in the raffle. You only have until December twelfth, which is like in a week. So get to calling. All right. So now we're going to. Listen to a voicemail from one of our very lovely callers who is entering into the raffle. A model student. Hello, this is Alicia Dressman from at the Delphi Vision on Twitter.com. And I am entering a question for a chance to win the Dynamo sneakers. I want to know who killed Vladimir Mayakovsky. It's a question that's haunted me since I was a little girl and read his poems and followed him. All right, bye-bye. Thank you so much for calling, Alicia. So you asked who killed Vladimir Mayakovsky, extremely famous Soviet poet from like the early, early Soviet period. It sounds like, yeah, the premise is that you think that people in Russia know who killed him, but they in fact also do not. To this day, it's still very much a controversial question. Wait, can you explain first, like, how he died? Sure. First of all, the date was April 14th, 1930. He died by gunshot. The official story is that it was suicide. That's the official story in Russian, on the English Wikipedia, but in, in, in general. But I personally, based on the opinion of someone that I know, <laughs> don't think that. <laughs> okay, so tell us what the theory, the alternative theory is. I mean, the alternate theory is that he was killed. It's important to note that he is, he was like a very much like a, a supporter of Lenin, um, a revolutionary, and an officially like supported poet during his life. This is the beginning of the Soviet Union, the 20s, late teens to 20s, up until his death in 1930. He like, he's part of like the writer's union, like he's like extremely famous. He lives in a big, beautiful apartment in, in Moscow, you know what I mean? Like, he, but he's given by the government. He's doing well for himself. At least in his earlier life, he wrote a lot of poetry that was explicitly supportive of, of the ideals of communism. And he has one extremely like long, important poem specifically about Lenin. Okay. But at the same time, like, that was a crazy time. I mean, it was crazy. The 20s are crazy in a lot of places. And it was crazy in the Soviet Union, too, and more radical, sort of. And, like, apparently he started to get, like, more disappointed with the party and the official Soviet government and everything. Official Soviet government. Just, to, like, the, in the years leading up to his death, specifically Stalin. Wait, when you say he was getting, like, disgruntled or dissatisfied or whatever, was his poetry changing or he would, like... Yeah. How did that manifest? Well, everyone says that his poetry near the end of his life was just shit. Like, it was just bad. Like, he, like, uh. wasn't, he wasn't, like, infused with the muse or whatever they say. <laughs> I don't think they say that. They don't say infused with the muse. <laughs> infused with the muse. Why don't they say that? Because they should. But, but They should say that. It's good. He was, you know, like, 
part of the futurists that like poetry movement of the early 20s and did a lot of experimental work with with literature and poetry and I just like he's, he has a very interesting personal life and like also lived in this sort of like menage a trois with his actual muse Lilia Brick and her husband one thing that's important is that apparently this is word of mouth at this point he was asked to write a poem similarly similar to the poem that he wrote about Lenin he was asked to write a poem like an epic poem about Stalin and he was just like mm, no don't want to do that and it's possible that he didn't realize that his refusal could be taken very seriously because this is just the beginning of this is the late 20s it's the very beginning of of purges and stuff like the height of the terror of Stalin's terror where he's starting to murder everyone around him is in the late 30s so you know he might not have realized like the danger of refusing maybe he just wasn't in the mood to like write a <laughs> epic poem or something it's, it's possible that he's he wasn't like I hate Stalin he just was like no nah, I'm just not really feeling it I don't know that could possibly have been a motivation because the counter theory to the suicide is that he was killed basically by the secret police by the Soviet government was there anything about the like crime scene that indicated that it wasn't a suicide yeah a few things one thing was they like buried him and like did his whole the the whole investigation extremely quickly it was like boop 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 god they love doing that they love doing that in russia there's a whole thing about like i'm not gonna be able to recount this in like real forensic detail but just the way that his body was positioned like how he fell it seemed like he had been moved like he had been positioned the other way and his like feet were facing like the wrong way like it didn't make sense but at the same time, he had, according to um, his current, his lover at the time, who was like the last person to see him alive, they had just had that like a fight and, and she had just left and she like heard the shot. Oh, what? But that kind of makes it seem like it was a suicide then. That does. Yeah. She's the witness that people always quote, you know, when they're like talking about how it like so obviously it was a suicide. It's like we were just fighting and then he killed himself. But conspiracy theorists think she's lying. Not just conspiracy theorists. But like Brick, the family he was close to this was like, thinks the suicide theory is bullshit and we're like, that was clearly the terror. This is the meat of the podcast. Have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 Shit feel like I won't ever make it home Graphics backed up, I got to get off of this road Fucked on the gas, I swear to God, I'm in my zone This is She's in Russia, I'm Smith, and I'm in Brooklyn And I'm Lily, and I'm in St. Petersburg So what are we talking about on this fine day? We haven't checked in with like the American political climate as it relates to Russia, also known as Russiagate, also known as Russian meddling, also known as Trusha, also known as Trupin. Does that exist? Or Prump? Prump. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. We also wanted to check in because recently there have been some important kind of like key events. Most recently of which is the Flynn plea deal, which we'll explain in just a second the other big thing is that the tit for tat for mass media particularly centered around rt and sputnik which are russian government backed media organizations that operate in the u.s 
Flynn, Michael, who is he? What happened? God, he is in such shit right now. If you don't remember who Michael Flynn is from previous episodes in which we've talked about him, he was the head of national security for Trump for approximately a few weeks. So after the election, prior to the inauguration, Flynn had a series of conversations with Sergei Kislyak, the, at the time, the Russian ambassador to America. At one point, the impression of those conversations by the media was that it was about the Russian sanctions that Obama had <clears throat> imposed following the revelations that Russia had hacked the election. So the Russian meddling in the election, the response from the Obama administration was more sanctions. And then Flynn had a conversation with Kislyak about these sanctions. And there was some speculation over whether or not he had violated the Logan Act, which prevents private citizens from discussing diplomatic issues with foreign governments. But Apparently, nobody has actually ever been prosecuted under that law, and it was unclear if he had actually violated that, and what's more. But wait, he was fired because? Yeah, so they let him resign or forced him to resign because he lied to Mike Pence. This is the story, that he lied to Mike Pence about the content of the conversation with Kislyak. And it turns out at the same time, he also lied to the FBI about the content of the conversations. This past week, the most important piece of news is that he has pled guilty to lying to the FBI. So right around that same point that it came to light that he had had conversations with Kislyak following the election of Donald Trump but prior to the inauguration, the FBI interviewed him and asked him a bunch of questions about the content of the conversation, and he lied to them. Most notably, he admitted that and I'm reading this from the plea deal now, he admitted the fact that he had asked Kislyak to moderate Russia, the Russian government response to the sanctions. The other part that's like Russia-related in this conversation is that he asks Kislyak to delay or vote no on a security council in the UN resolution to condemn settlements in Israel. The response to this has been like, okay, this is actually where the information is, which is that Israeli government asked the Trump transition team to persuade Russia to delay or vote no on this resolution. So yeah, this past Friday on the 1st, Flynn entered a plea deal stating that he had lied to the FBI for these two reasons. And for this, he is subject to what people are saying between zero and six months in prison. Let me read a short quote from Flynn that I think is funny. I recognize that the actions I acknowledged in court today were wrong, and through my faith in God, I am working to set things right, Mr. Flynn said. My guilty plea and agreement to cooperate with the special counsel's office reflect a decision I made in the best interests of my family and of our country. I accept full responsibility for my actions. In the, in the face of God, so help me God. But wait, I feel like it's worth mentioning that there's some business deal with the Turkish government that was also revealed at the moment he's not being like sentenced for or even tried for. Yeah, which is that he had received like upwards of half a million dollars from the Turkish government to lobby in the U.S. and didn't register that with the U.S. government. Right. And that is actually potentially like more illegal. But according to what I was reading, what I was reading, the Wall Street Journal, that deal is being kind of overshadowed right now by, well, fully overshadowed by the focus on, on his contacts with Russian government officials, specifically Kislyak. Like, technically, yeah, that could, could, that is a 
a potentially like yeah more problematic and illegal thing that he did but they could be the Mueller people could be using that are using that basically to like threaten him or however they whatever they call it that legal way of threatening people it's like if you don't want to be prosecuted for this actual crime you did then spill the beans on the Russiagate stuff but I think it's important to note that there isn't his talking to Kislyak isn't illegal as far as people can tell, it's only that he then lied to the FBI about the content of the conversation. So if he had told the truth, he might not be in the deep shit pile that he is in now. But wait, are you so even with the with the 1799 Logan Act, it's still not illegal? I mean, it's like vaguely unclear. I think one, because there's probably precedent set for transition teams talking to foreign governments. I think two, that I don't know like how private citizen fits in in that particular context. And then three, the fact that actually nobody has been prosecuted under it. Right. right. Okay. So he lied to the FBI about the content of his conversation which then implies that the content at the time like the lie was that he hadn't discussed sanctions for example or or israel right yeah i mean i don't know if they even asked about israel at the time like maybe they didn't realize that was on the radar so but do we know openly now that he had that he did discuss sanctions that sort of the implication of i lied to the fbi okay he asked kislyak to have russia moderate its response and this is quoting from a new york times article the following day president vladimir v putin of russia said moscow would not retaliate against the united states for the sanctions and whether or not that was like a direct result of whatever flynn said to kislyak like I'm having a hard time like interpreting this story exactly because like to me that seems like a good thing it's like if Flynn was actually convincing enough to have the entire government of Russia not retaliate against the sanctions like that's the one concrete move that we've probably seen in the past however many months of quote-unquote Russiagate where somebody has taken a responsible approach and it's been effective in not escalating a given situation yeah exactly like why is that not just like diplomacy I mean like whatever you feel about Flynn and like the other bullshit he's done vis-a-vis like Turkey and Israel like this particular conversation is probably like a good thing what I don't get about like what upsets people is that like this was all after Trump was elected yeah so like what the fuck this was after Trump was elected so like why does it bother people I don't get it it's this whole like turbid mix of like whatever the fuck Russian collusion means and it's like the main narrative of Russian collusion is that the Trump campaign in Russia colluded in order for him to win the election but then but then the main conversation around Flynn is after he was already elected and about him having conversations that yeah were just like arguably diplomatic conversations yeah and like the timing is so important what I find really funny is that articles both in English and in Russian aren't like super super focused on the timing whereas I would be like hold on first of all first of all first of all the man's already elected okay the piss hair is already elected. Like, that's not a phrase, Lily. I just mean his hair looks like peas, but I don't mean like a phrase. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they're excited about the fact that they think because he's pleading to so little, they're excited that he might be a way to bring Trump down. It's it's the same. It's the same like underlying incentive as the whole like figuring out a story that will make it so that hillary actually should have won but didn't in russian twitter it's like weirdly obvious or stated as a fact that the person who asked flynn to contact kislyak 
that person was Jared Kushner. I think it's like one of those things where they're being responsible about it, but that's the assumption by everybody is that it was Kushner or potentially more than one. The other thing that came out that's just like a little tidbit of juice was that that yeah, what's what people are calling top Trump transition officials, whose name is KT. That's um, not Katie, but like the initials Katie McFarlane, who was working for Flynn at the time, sent an email around in which she alluded to Russia having thrown the election to Trump. I can't believe people email about things like that. So amazing. I'm reading this from a New York Times article. On December 29th, a transition advisor to Mr. Trump, KT McFarlane, wrote in an email to a colleague that sanctions announced hours before by the Obama administration in retaliation for Russian election meddling were aimed at discrediting Mr. Trump's victory. The sanctions could also make it much harder for Mr. Trump to ease tensions with Russia, which has just thrown the USA election to him, she wrote in the emails obtained by the Times. Whoa, the quote is, she said thrown? This is in quotes, which has just thrown the USA election to him. One of the speculations for this is that she's like being ironic because already at this point, the Democrats were like really leaning heavily into the whole like a Russia meddling thing. Don't joke in text. Okay, I have to go pee. Okay, I'll get more water. You don't know me, but I'm netty. You don't know the bitch yet, but I'm net chick You don't know me, but yet you know my click Dirt that you sound, run around that shit first place to start is just to introduce what exactly RT is. And Lily, do you want to do that? Yeah. RT was previously called Russia Today. It's like a massive TV network of TV channels. Their main ones are in like a couple of languages. There's the RT America. There's one in Spanish and one in like Arabic. They're funded in part from the federal budget of Russia. So they're like a lot of people accuse them of being sort of like a pure propagandistic media outlet. But yeah, so yeah, they actually receive funding from the Russian government, but at the same time, they are like officially held by a private company. But yeah, as I said, they, are, they exist in a bunch of different languages and they have offices in various countries around the world. They say that they're sort of like bringing the Russian perspective. Like they, that's what they say about themselves. And that can be taken in various ways. It's not like everything that they talk about is about Russia. They, you know, they cover like all news. But, you know, what the Russian perspective means, quote unquote, is uh, up for debate. RT first like came on the 
the scene, so to speak, or like the political scene in people's imaginations, because in January, in the report that the intelligence community published titled Background to Assessing Russian Activities and Intentions in Recent U.S. Elections, they actually talk about RT a lot, because one of the ways in which people say that the Russian government influenced the U.S. election was through like online media and propaganda. And so they use RT a lot to talk about what sort of things they talk about, particularly interviewing Julian Assange, whom they have a partnership with where they claim to get like pre-leaked materials from him. I'm not sure if this is true or not. This report also covers how they spoke ill of Hillary and in favor of Trump starting as early as 2015. RT like started getting demonized early because it was in this report. Yeah, I think just to sort of like zero in on what you just said, like this is one, again, like branch of the larger quote unquote meddling accusation. One branch is that meddling was taking place on the level of propaganda or on the level of media, right? And that's just like, I just really encourage people to think about that because that has a lot of ethical questions underneath it, which I think we're going to get to later, which is like, you know, just talking about like the difference between biased media and propaganda and what should be allowed and what people should be, quote unquote, allowed to be exposed to you know what I mean like right it's really it's really really a big question it's not so easy to be like well RT was a pro-Russian like trying to influence people with their pro-Russian content it's like okay but like you're bombarded constantly every day with messages that are trying to influence you so like that's the world what 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 actually that means and what whether or not that should be allowed is a really really important question yeah yeah so I wanted to play a quick clip of RT's coverage of the latest Flynn news just to like give a sense because it's this thing where like yeah it's obvious they're like pushing a certain narrative but like their narrative happens to align with what we think. Court filings reveal that Flynn contacted the Russian ambassador asking to delay or defeat a vote on a UN resolution involving Israel. They also allegedly discussed the response to the sanctions imposed by the Obama administration. Michael Flynn also said that he consulted senior Trump transition officials over those contacts. Former Russian envoy Sergei Kislyak, though, denied that he ever discussed sanctions with Flynn. I was instructed not to discuss the sanctions, and I assure you that I followed those instructions. We also don't bargain over this issue, because from the beginning we have considered it illegal and aggressive. Flynn's conversations with Kislyak potentially violate the centuries-old Logan Act. Now, this prohibits Americans from negotiating with foreign governments over existing disputes with the United States. But since the act was passed, not a single person has ever actually been successfully prosecuted under those rules. Political commentator Steve Maltzberg believes that Trump is unlikely to be badly damaged by this latest development. He lied to the FBI. Why he chose to lie about these meetings with with, uh, Kislyak, I don't know, but he did, and he pleaded guilty for it. Now they're saying, oh, he's going to tell everything about Trump and Kushner. What? Tell what? None of this relates to collusion. Collusion. This is all uh, President-elect Trump. 
uh, asking or, or someone on his staff saying, hey, reach out to foreign countries. By the way, the great Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, writes today, it's commonplace for an incoming national security advisor to go to foreign countries and talk to his counterparts or reach them on the phone in anticipation of a new administration. There's nothing here that's, that's the, gonna get Trump or, or Kushner in trouble. That's like the Russian, I feel like, stereotype of an American. They're just like, bah, 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 bah. It's like, God, so horrible. But I, I do think it's like, it's interesting that they center Kislyak at it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see Kislyak's like, response in, in, in really any English stuff. In terms of the whole RT, have we even said what happened to RT? Yeah, so no, we haven't talked about what happened to RT. So starting in like late October, the like fervor, particularly around RT and also tangentially Sputnik, kind of started building. And I guess I don't know why it like got triggered in October, even though the report had been out since January. I think because there is a deadline in general for companies to register as foreign agents in October and one of the assumptions was that RT would register as a foreign agent and then they said that they wouldn't. And what is a foreign agent you ask? So a foreign agent is somebody who registers under Foreign Agents Registration Act. This was enacted in 1938 and I think the intention of it was to ensure that Nazi propagandists in the U.S. were like registered and so the idea being that once you're registered, you're in some database where the U.S. knows about you and you have to report who's financing you and like what government you're registered to and all those things. And I was looking at like the database with the list of registrants in it. And it that was like about like 400 different companies. And a lot of them are like tourist agencies. So just companies that are advocating for like tourism to South Africa like that person or that company has to register as a foreign agent and Hmm. RT wasn't registered as a foreign agent because most of the time media outlets aren't registered as foreign agents. Wait 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 but in your history you skipped a step which is that like in 1966 it was sort of like adjusted to be more focused on political lobbyists that have money from foreign governments so like Michael Flynn, for example. <laughs> yeah. So like Michael <laughs> Flynn, for fucking example. Was that in re- direct response to like communism or you don't know? I think so. But so RT basically was required to register as one of these foreign agents. And they didn't do it. They like delayed and then they... Yeah, the Justice Department was like, okay, because after this... Re- I mean, obviously RT has been in the US for I don't know, however long, longer than this year and the justice department was like okay you have to register as a foreign agent partially because of their inclusion in this uh investigation report founded in 2010 so for seven years they've gone unregistered but then they got all this like bad press they essentially rt was just like no we don't want to do that and then the justice department was like all right well we're gonna there was like talk about them coming in and starting to arrest people and like shutting down their offices in the u.s and so finally RT decided okay we will we will register as a foreign agent part of the foreign agents registration act is that the company who registers as a foreign agent has to actually be like located in the U.S. and getting money from abroad so it's not just about like being you know being in the U.S. like via the internet but anyway RT America is told by the officials of the justice department radio television correspondence galleries so weird these things that exist 
that this won't affect their ability to function in the U.S. as as a media outlet. Th- this is really important because they, at the same time, like when there's this tit for tat happening, the position of the U.S. government was that being a foreign agent doesn't restrict you in any way the way you operate in the U.S. and it also shouldn't restrict how media operates in Russia. So then they get a letter the next day, November 29th, from the U.S. Congress, you know, like Congress of the United States, like that's the letterhead, that RT America's credentials to cover Capitol Hill have been revoked. And the specific reason they've been revoked, according to Congress, is because of their listing as a foreign foreign agent. agent. (laughs) So it's like, it's like exactly, they were told sort of this would not affect their their status or anything. And their status was then very, very much affected. I just, I guess I want to be clear before we have this conversation about like why this sort of thing is bad overall for like transparency of information and like, the conversation about censorship that I'm not like particularly pro RT. Like, I don't think that RT is a good news source that people should go to for information. Right. No, no, it's not. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that it's like good what is happening to them. No, I know. But those are two different issues. Yes. Those are two different issues. Yeah. Okay, so so there's so there's this part. There's the foreign agent part. And do you want to talk about the Russian response? Yeah, let's get that out of the way. Okay. What's basically happened is that directly, like, as a response to both the forcing RT to register as a foreign agent and then the revoking of their credentials, the Russian government explicitly as, like, a quote-unquote mirror response signed into law, like, basically an act that expands an already existing law that that Russia has that's called the foreign agent law, which I'll explain in a second. It's a little bit different. So basically the law, this new law says that any any mainstream media receiving financing from abroad can be considered a foreign agent. Once you're considered a foreign agent, what does that mean? The restrictions are much more sort of like clear. You need to report quarterly on your finances to the Ministry of, I guess, Justice. You need to mark your site in some way that indicates that you are a foreign agent, that you're officially registered as a foreign agent. And like the way you mark your site will be determined by the Ministry of Justice, not by you. Punishments for not complying with this law are basically big fines. But this is all... This is all in the process of, of being um, decided because one of the one of the biggest things is just like the biggest questions right now is just like how the Russian government plans on enforcing this law because it's like it's a little bit more complex because it's not about companies that are located in Russia. It really seems like the content of the site doesn't matter. It's just like, is it foreign? Is it receiving foreign money? If both those things are true, as in like, is it foreign? Is it located in another country? And is it receiving money from non-Russians? If both of those things are true, then it is already like a foreign agent. It doesn't matter what they're writing about. So what a lot of articles are pointing out is that like, we're talking about sports publications, like culture publications, like it doesn't have to be political explicitly at all. And so it's a much more broad, like wide reaching definition of foreign agent. I uh, I have a really hard time like understanding this response. First of all, it sort of feels like maybe the Russian government was waiting for an opportunity to do some bullshit like this. The other thing that feels scary about it is that it's so generalized, which means the effect could be like as far reaching as they decide on like a case to case basis, which is scary. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention, though, that like the history of this law, because we talked about how Farah is from like 1938 and then a little bit different in 1966. But the sort of like what's 
colloquial called the foreign agent law in Russia is, as I mentioned on the last episode with the European University, is from more, much more recently, is from 2012. Well, between 2011 and 2012, there were a bunch of protests. And this law was created basically, specifically targeting like foreign funded NGOs that were like politically involved. It comes from a sort of frightening place, this like crackdown around 2012. And then now it's being expanded into media. It's a country being like anything that doesn't come from our country is suspect even if it's like allowed to exist it's suspect it has like a mark and it's like for and foreign agent as as in english in russian also sounds like spy it sounds like negative it doesn't sound like it's not like nice international club it's like foreign agent has negative connotations but that's the thing is it's not like a clear tit for tat it's not like oh we're gonna make our tea register as a foreign agent and so like I guess it's just hard for me to know because we don't have an equivalent like RT is a Russian company that makes content for an American audience whereas like I don't know what media company I mean they probably exist but not like one of the mainstream media companies exists in Russia that makes content for a Russian audience and so there isn't really like an equivalent tat for the tit or vice versa and instead they're just cracking down on Uh, like English speaking or maybe all but foreign media companies that want to report back to their own countries. Every day I learn a lesson, take my time to grow. You can imagine all the seeds that type of Microsoft. Other trees are kind of mine, could only dream to blow. And I can never lie to anybody coming to my shows. Yeah, okay, so then two other, like, things in this little RT swirly clusterfuck is social media and Google's response. So we can just run through those real quickly. The first thing, and this is, a, this is the thing that we've like kind of talked about before, offline as they say, is that in early November, Twitter and Facebook and Google actually testified in front of members of Congress about political ads and social media posts that could be like part of this whole Russian meddling scheme. And one of the discussions that came out of this was paid advertising. So... RT had paid Twitter like close to $2 million over the past several years, I think past five years for advertising on their platform. And like one of the responses, one of the things that Twitter said recently in this, all this hullabaloo was like, we're we're not going to let them advertise with us anymore. And they said this both about RT and Sputnik. And 
the Sputnik response was funny because they're like, I don't think we ever have advertised with you. (laughs) And then the other thing that came out around this time was that after Twitter was like, we're not going to let RT advertise anymore. um, BuzzFeed broke this story where like for a long time, Twitter had pursued RT and pitched them advertising on the platform, like using the language of the Russian perspective and like edgy media, et cetera, which is like how oh my um, God. RT brands themselves. So that's like really ridiculous. So, um, so important though. And such a good example of why these people are so full of shit. Very full of shit. The other important little tidbit out of this is that in April, Google started like directly changing their algorithms to better rank things around like, specifically around the fake news conversation. So like when fake the fake news conversation was really hitting its height and not just like Russia related, but just any like fake news, like pizza gay bullshit. The VP of engineering on April 25th, 2017, made a blog post talking about changes to the algorithm, what they call page rank, which is basically just like when you search things, what information is served to you first because they had had problems. I think the, the thing that actually triggered this was holocaust denial articles were coming up like higher in the ranks than actual just information about the holocaust when people are googling oh my god and so they made this announcement like we're gonna change it to better the quality and like real people will be checking etc etc this was brought up much more recently just on november 20th 2017 uh when eric schmidt who's the ceo of google was asked directly about quote-unquote kremlin owned media sites being ranked relative to other news sites and his responses we're well aware of this one and we're working on detecting this kind of scenario you're describing and de-ranking those kinds of sites and then he went on to say we don't want to ban the sites that's not how we operate i am not strongly in favor of censorship i am very strongly in favor of ranking it's what we do to be clear this doesn't mean that there is some like hard-coded line within the google code base that says like if rt don't show on website like they are basically changing their algorithm or or have already since april to serve what they view as like more authentic and more trustworthy news sites and how they're doing that is like vaguely unclear because obviously that's like proprietary information and they aren't going to like publish the actual algorithm so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, to be honest. Like the, one of the bad outcomes of this already has been that a lot of smaller independent news sites or just like generally smaller, less mainstream websites have been deranked. Um, and again, this isn't this isn't intentional. It's just like a side effect of the fact that whatever quality they're using to judge how legitimate a news source is affects not just something like RT or something shitty like the Daily Caller, but also, for example, The Intercept, which I think the number was like 19% has dropped in in search results by 19% since April, along with a lot of other like more socialists or leftist leaning outlets. And I don't know, the article I read didn't have like a good survey of like, oh, what about like really far right wing? And I would kind of assume those have also dropped, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think when we talk about this issue of whether or not companies should be obligated to do something, quote unquote, about fake news, um, and then how. So it's like whether or not is one question, and then how to do that is another. And Google answering that how question with this algorithm that they started testing out in April. Smith, you and I have already talked about this, but just to repeat, like, 
for all of you out there, when an, an algorithm is written, it's written by humans. It doesn't just like grow on a tree of algorithms that are like perfect and have no bias or something. And it's just it's just an important thing to remember that like, who are these humans? What exactly were they thinking when they were making up the criteria for what is a fake news source and how to determine that? algorithmically there's the fake news that is like an article with falsities in it like a made-up event that kind of fake like that didn't happen like whatever the pizza thing right yeah that's one example but then it gets really hard when when you get away from that like clear example there's also fake news that's like people who are pretending to be other people and are just like tweeting like not linking to any articles but just like writing things from their own brains which is like troll factory which is trolls yeah and then there's also just biased news but so there's all these different things that fake news encompasses that's one thing that that you have to keep in mind because like I don't know we talk about this maybe we're a little bit too egotistical but ability to like sense when something has a falsity about it whether or not that's true that doesn't even matter like people's ability to sense like well let's put it this way basically the question of whether or not a platform like twitter or google or facebook should be controlling the type of information you see is actually the question of like who's responsible for determining that something is fake is it you yourself as the individual do you filter things and like look at the source and try to figure out or like realize that this like fucker who's saying something on Twitter maybe is a troll and like why are you listening to them or whatever you know what I mean like do you do that on an individual level or does the private corporation whose only goal in life is to make money do that for you yeah I mean wait I real quickly I want to like I do think that there's a difference between Facebook and Twitter and Google because like Google is a search engine so they do have a responsibility to return you information that's like as good as possible I think in some way that's like what they're that's the service they're selling there's the service they're selling is that yeah they are trying to be as relevant as possible to your request but when it comes to like something like Twitter or Facebook which is not at, at its core a search engine and instead just like a way for people to post things and that's when you ask like okay is that their responsibility to like censor things people post or like and they do do that already right like they deactivate troll accounts all the time and they deactivate real people who say stuff remember like and this there was all this there was a whole frenzy around like when Trump was first elected about like you know like Twitter has the responsibility to, like, block Trump's account, which is just, like, putting a Band-Aid on, like, a limb that just cut off. (laughs) You're like, there we go. It's like a cartoon. It's a SpongeBob Band-Aid. That ought to do it. (laughs) But, yeah, but that that sentiment that people had, you remember that? Like, people probably still have that, where they're, like, calling to, like, block Trump's account. This is a similar, it's it's the same sentiment that people have to, like, when people think that, Twitter, for example, has the responsibility to filter information. And I just have a lot of like doubts about that. I feel like you convinced me like, okay, yeah, overall, it's not good to just like censor things generally. But I feel like the the kind of one smart argument you can make against that is like Twitter isn't is also not like a naturally occurring environment. Like they've created the environment that allows people to post things in this way and to create accounts that are quote unquote fake and to post things that are fake. Like that individual person could not nearly have the reach like 
in other forms of their life. Like they can't go out into the street and like yell lies. I mean, they could, but like nobody's going to pay attention to them. And so the fact that Twitter enables this sort of like extreme propagation of falsehoods might make it so that they're responsible for mitigating those falsehoods in some way. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. Subscribe to our newsletter at She's in It's only once a month. It's only once a month and it's mostly pictures. Don't forget to call us and leave a voice message with your name or Twitter handle to enter into the raffle for your very own pair of Dinamo sneakers. The number for that is plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six. And we'll see you next week. Podesta's, what was it like Podesta's email password was like password one, two, three. Oh my God. Is that true? Or am I just making no, that up? It was, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. But he just like fell for a really, really basic phishing scam. Like he, he fell, for, like, you know, he opened his email and it was like, please change your password, sir. And he was like, he was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, okay. He's like, okay, Mr. Google, I'm going to not even look for any. I mean, it was apparently it was it's very like well Google, designed. It's like Google, like G-O-O-G-E-L. He's like, perfect. He's like, he's like, well, this is my top secret email, but I'm just going to go ahead and put a password in now. Like through my like. Probably like my horrible Blackberry or something.